Welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast that gives you the movies well worth watching, even if there are some duds along the way. Combining questions, trivia and games, every episode we're challenged to watch a piece of film history, old or new, to decide whether it deserves to be remembered for all time in our movie vault. With every film chosen in our previous episode, it's the perfect way to watch and discuss along at home. But don't just take my word for it. Here's a snippet of what to expect in today's episode. Do you recommend I watch this movie? Honestly, yeah. It's. I mean, there are obviously some really, really kiddie parts to it that I didn't like, but bar that, it's actually quite intelligent at times. Just generally entertaining. I was. I was really surprised, especially because this dick made me go on my own to watch it. <laughs> Oh, hi, Mark. Well, good movies. Hello, welcome, welcome, welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast that gives you the movies well worth watching, even if there are some duds along the way. I'm your host, David Osger. And I'm joined by my very own Watson, helping me solve crimes against cinema, Craig McDonald. Hello, Craig. You are not Sherlock. Get that idea out of your head now. <laughs> I knew he was going to say that. I knew it. <laughs> How did he know that? Elementary. <laughs> <laughs> so as we alluded to there, Craig, uh, we talk about movies well worth watching, despite duds along the way. So just to tease the audience at home, do you think today's movie is a dud or well worth watching? I mean, for me personally, it is very much well worth watching. And I'm going to be the only person who thinks that, and it's going to be an awkward experience. <laughs> uh, we'll see, we'll see. I'm sure that won't be the case. But for anyone who didn't catch our previous episode, uh, can you just recap us on what we're watching today, Craig, and how we came to choose this film? Well, given I crushed you yet again in the endgame, it was given, it was given to me uh, to choose which of our options we got to watch. So the idea is that the winner of each of our endgames will choose... Uh, one of three films. It can either be uh, a choice by myself, a choice by David, or a choice that they wish to bring themselves if they're unhappy with either of our choices. So my choice for this for this week's episode was the 2009 Sherlock Holmes film directed by Guy Ritchie. So I, ca- I can't lie, I didn't have a strong rationale for this one apart from just, I've never seen this film, I've been curious, but I guess if I had to give in some form of context, given what we watched last week, I definitely needed something which is a lot more high energy, a lot more intellectual. For those who don't remember, we watched The Room last week. Uh, great film, but like not either of the things I described. And also just, I mean, a couple of things associated with it, right? One, I think consistently seeing over and over again things about like the third Sherlock Holmes film and what's happening to that. And I'm still confused as to what's happening to that given last, given that when I Googled it about an hour ago, it said, released in December 2021. And I'm like, no, it wasn't. What are you talking about? COVID delays have really messed things up. <laughs> yeah, they've messed up the updates on Google. That's how bad it's gotten. But also just uh, also just about Robert Downey Jr. I've, been, I've also just been thinking a lot about him as an actor because obviously he's going to be having a, I'm going to say much reduced role because there are fan theories and speculation about whether or not he's going to return in any meaningful way into the MCU. I don't think it's going to be as deep as many people might think, but they might just be 
some odd cameo uh, here or there. I don't really know or care. But even then, I've just been thinking about him as an actor and him as a career and what else he has to sort of work on. So uh, once I got past the trauma, which was Doolittle, I started thinking about Sherlock Holmes and thinking that I wanted to, you know, watch that film and see how he, you know, I've watched him butcher a Welsh accent. I might as well see how he deals with the English. So those are sort of my rationale thinking of why I chose this particular film. I did keep thinking that when I was watching it. I was like, can I detect where he maybe slipped up and was experimenting with the Welsh accent at this stage? <laughs> uh, I, I don't think I caught it. But yeah, he, it was definitely a choice then. That maybe he was like, well, I've done English. I think I'll do Welsh next. <laughs> well, no, he had a rationale for doing it. It was because he was ba- basing it off of a famous veterinarian from Carmarthenshire mm. from about the 1800s. He just did a shit job at emulating it. <laughs> I think it's still just a checklist aspect. He was like, and I get to tick that off my list. But uh, yeah, well, we look forward to discussing Sherlock Holmes and uh, undertaking our usual task of deciding whether it goes into our movie vault. And that is our vault of movies that celebrates them for all time. But before all of that, we have some new guests, Craig, joining us on Well Good Movies for the first time. And we're thrilled to be introducing you to them today. Uh, first off, we have someone who has the perfect name for this type of podcast. They are a film fan and graduate in TV and film production. It's Laura Filmer. Hi. <laughs> Hello, Laura. So, yes, my surname, though, honestly. <laughs> we, it is perfect. We have to bring it up, you know, especially because Craig McDonald, David Osger, we, we, we've been there. We've all had the kind of you know, oh, yeah, stuff thrown at you during school, etc. I've had stuff thrown at me since primary school. People going, oh, when's your next film? Oh, what films have you been making today? And it's just like, oh, never gets old. <laughs> I mean, it, it could oh. be worse. You could be McDonald and literally have a farm like I do. Seriously? Yeah, honest to God. Okay, that that just that beats mine completely. Yeah, that we, beats We'll talk me. about it later, I promise, um, on my farming Please podcast. Do. There's, there's some form of <laughs> destiny involved in all of these. So Craig was destined to have a farm. You were destined to be involved in film. So hopefully my Oscar is coming sometime in the future. No, but... they're going to rename the Razzies to the Oscars <laughs> and you're going to get one of those. Well, that's the thing. Whenever the kids were all just like, oh, have you got an Oscar? I was like, um, that's spelled with a C. So, you know, but like, obviously that was too intellectual to a seven-year-old at that time. Big G's, man. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, we, we all sympathize with that. But uh, yeah, Laura, as I said, you are a big film fan. So I am. Uh, what have you been watching lately? I know uh, from your Twitter you've been doing a big so watch list for 2022. What have been the highlights? What's been your favorite film you've watched so far? I'd say so far my favorite film this year. It's actually what I watched for the very first time was Rocky Horror Picture Show. I don't know how I'd never seen it before. It is one that is in the movie vault as well. We have discussed it on our Good. musicals episode. It was very much a discussion of like it's bonkers and crazy, but that's why it deserves to go in. <laughs> Exactly. And I feel like if you're a bonkers crazy person, you're just going to absolutely love it. Yeah. And uh, stiff competition there as well, because like I said, 22, sometimes, 20, well, the new year in general can sometimes be a bit slow for people watching their movies. But, but you've thrown in some classics there as well to start your year off. Well, I have a massive watch list like we literally just previously discussed. And I, well, I have all this free time to try and work through it. So I've managed to watch quite a few classics. I watched Blade Runner for the first time as well yesterday. And really enjoyed that. I only have one criticism. It needed more Roy Batty. Uh, are you building up to the Blade Runner 2049? Or... Yes, I am. I've got that to watch next. Right. Okay. Because that, yeah, that would be some weird 
kind of planning if you had seen that before and then and then watch the no, original no, afterwards. hadn't seen either of them. One of our guests is nodding a lot at the moment, but yeah, I'm sure there's yeah. loads of film fans <laughs> out there at the moment which are like, oh yes, you know, watch that, I can't wait. You know, there's loads of people who love discussing that film uh, in great detail. And one of them, I'm sure, is with us at the moment. So, uh, yeah, going to our second guest uh, is someone I've had the pleasure of deep diving into movies with on podcasts before, sometimes for four hours. Uh, it is filmmaker and comic book aficionado, Rob Ailing. Hello, Rob. Oh, hi, David. Oh, hi, Craig. Anyway, how's your sex life? No, Rob, we did that last time. That was a, you're an episode <laughs> late, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, damn I, mean, I didn't know if he was going to do that. I was just like, hang on, what? <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't resist. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's all good. Well, you know, I was going to go to your filmmaking first, Rob, but we kind of have to go to the room <laughs> story now, don't we? Because it is kind of weird timing that we did this episode before you came on. And yeah, you have an amazing story to do with Tommy Wiseau. So please share. <laughs> Um, yes, I certainly do. So uh, this was a um, birthday present. So I went to go and see The Room because I'm a big fan of The Room. Like, I do not get me wrong. It's a bad film, but it's so bad it's brilliant. You know, it's such a phrase to give that film and it really is. It's the perfect phrasing. And I went to see the film at the Prince Charles Cinema, great cinema, live audience. Tommy was always there with Greg Cicero. They were there to, you know, do Q&A and talk about the film and everything and also promote the book and also promote the film, The Disaster Artist at the time. And we then went during the the, the beginning of the film, because everyone's seen the beginning of the film, so you, know, you want to go to the best bits of the movie anyway. So where they chuck the spoons at the screen because there's a picture of a spoon in a frame. It's, it's amazing. And by the end of the screening, we're all playing American football with Tommy Wiseau, which is like, you think you've done everything? do that um (laughs) it's it's even more amazing um but the story that i'm going to tell you it's just it made me it still makes me laugh so i was there with my um ex-girlfriend and um we're queuing up and i meet greg shake his hand say really love the book think it's really fantastic love this chapter in particular he said oh i'm really glad you pointed that out not a lot of people talk about the book they just say they like it and they move on i'm like no no i generally read it and um he signed a copy for me which was amazing and then i go to tommy and he goes, uh, well, I should point out that my ex-girlfriend had quite pale skin and we used to call her a vampire because of her pale skin. And he goes to me, oh, hi, Rob. Uh, who's this lovely girl with you? And I'm like, oh, this is my um, this is my girlfriend. And he goes, oh, hi, Laura. Um, you have very beautiful skin, like vampire, like me. <laughs> and literally, I was going, so much because I was trying so hard not to laugh because she just looked at him with this stern look of I want to kill you because I hate you so much right now because you've basically ruined my life up to this point now and it's oh it made me laugh so much and yeah the fact that I can now use that story against her and yeah I was sort of expecting the opposite the idea that Tommy Busso essentially stole your girlfriend (laughs) (laughs) that would have been a pure plot twist right there yeah, just she's like, oh, finally, I found another actual vampire. I don't have to be with this, like, you know, fake word anymore. Like, they go off together, etc. Laura was just looked very like she was cringing during that. <laughs> I was trying not to laugh so much. That is absolutely brilliant, honestly. <laughs> oh, that is incredible. Oh, it was a moment. It was certainly a moment. 
onto your filmmaking anyway, Rob. <laughs> Maybe what you're most known for, apart from uh, your Tommy Wiseau stories. So, uh, yeah, tell us a bit about, you know, the, the filmmaking you've been involved in and some of the opportunities you've got to be a part of, especially in the, the past year. You've got to go to loads of cool, exciting places, meet interesting people, apart from Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because he was there as well, um, strangely enough, with his own booth. Um, sorry, jumping ahead. So, um, yeah, I'm a writer and director. I have done loads of short films, done some documentaries. Um, I'm best known for making a Batman fan film called Living in Crime Alley, which is now on YouTube, which you can check out um, if you so wish to. Um, but as David said, I have been... Um, all over the world with this film, uh, mainly virtually because of the pandemic, of course. Um, but it's done fairly well in the festival circuit. And uh, last year, I went to uh, LA Comic Con where it um, was screened in front of a live audience, and we got to do a Q and A, and that was amazing. And got to meet some incredible people while we were out there, like people from DC. Got to meet my personal uh, favorite Batman of all time, Kevin Conroy, um, who I told him about the idea. He absolutely loved it. Um, I don't know if he'll watch it, but. You know, fingers crossed, you never know. Yeah, it's been an overwhelming journey, to say the least, with that film. And uh, now I'm currently making uh, probably the biggest leap so far in my career, which is my debut feature film. And uh, it's, well, as I said, it's been incredibly overwhelming so far, especially when you realise the budget as well. Um, <laughs> um, once you start putting more zeros on the end of more zeros, you're like, oh God, what does this all mean? Nothing! Um, I've got to start selling my stuff now, like all the stuff around me like my action figures and all that stuff and god i sound like uh, god i sound like such a loser <laughs> i've got to sell my stuff just to make it happen but no i love what i do and uh it's a freedom of expression for me at the end of the day it's not just a piece of entertainment that i make it's um it's my art and uh yeah that's it in a nutshell really that's my filmmaking career thus far and uh means that you're also a massive film fan as well in terms of your inspiration etc because i think a lot of the time sometimes you can get people who work in film etc who might be just more interested in the technical side or they just don't get a chance to to see everything's out at the moment but especially for yourself rob you're always you know they as we were saying before you just seen nightmare alley etc so it, it's it's you know you're always watching the room as it should be intended on cinema screens <laughs> make it sound like i watched it on repeat there yeah i'm watching the room on repeat you know that's how you learn from the best you just watch the worst and you just take that and you take but the thing about the room strange enough not to go too much into this but it is a masterpiece of its own making because at least it has its own unique voice that's the really amazing thing about it is that you can identify that one film being a Tommy Wiseau film. It's not just because his name is repeated several times in the credits separately in different title cards. It's because you identify with the fact that that dialogue is his. That's his acting. That's his world. He definitely has his own voice in that it's screaming into the abyss. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it brings on that nice uh, connectivity between episodes as well, doesn't it? Even though we chose to watch Sherlock Holmes in the last episode, we'll be talking about that today, the, the room still lives on as well in, in the next discussion. So it'll be interesting to see if uh, Sherlock Holmes comes up in the, in the next episode. Maybe the guest is like, I met Robert Downey Jr. We're like, what, what's going on here? Yeah, obviously we got to know you guys a bit more there, 
But we now go on to our section, which is questions of the week. And uh, this is our chance to dive into the world of movies and their history uh, to find out a bit more about our guests and discuss some of the elements we'll be talking about today. Uh, so before we get on to our main film, uh, we just sort some sort of random questions just to know how uh, Laura and Rob tick and sort of cover some of the stuff we'll be talking about today uh, would be quite a fun endeavor. So... Uh, Laura, your question, uh, first of all, is what films inspired you to get involved in the world of filmmaking? Well, I've loved films since I was like basically like two. I'm not even like, joking. I was into Star Wars at like two, three year old. But it wasn't until I got to about 14, 15 and I was rewatching Lord of the Rings for the hundredth time. And I was watching Return of the King again. And I remember it got to the, oh, just as I got all the... Um, riders of Rohan were like lying up like to charge into battle and I remember at that moment thinking how on earth did they like make this I want to see how they did it all and I watched loads of behind the scenes footage and like documentaries and from that moment I knew I wanted to make films and go down that path like that is what inspired me the most the biggest thing with the, that franchise is like you said because not only is there like hours of footage of lord of the rings there's hours of footage of the behind the scenes so i think a lot of people have had that experience of kind of delving into the franchise and like seeing how it all works especially because that was at such a unique time in hollywood in which there was a bigger emphasis on you know practical sets and going on yeah. location etc I think that's what I love so much about it is how pretty much majority of it is all practical effects you know it's all makeup for like the Urukai and the orcs and stuff unlike the hobbit where it's pretty much everything's like cgi yeah that's uh that's the hollywood evolution right there is those two <laughs> those two sets of films i guess uh so rob your question is what do you think is the most underrated film franchise oh right so i had i was really toying between a few ones here now whether or not it's an underrated film franchise is, is a different question in entirety i know that's what you're asking me but it's really gonna be like one of those ones where you look at it and you go really you're gonna choose that one but i really thought about this i was like walking on the way home and i was thinking all these film franchises like oh yeah toy story is really good but everyone talks about toy story everyone talks about the dark nine but no one really talks about the rocky franchise because they are actually look we don't speak of rocky five <laughs> okay take rocky five take rocky five off the table Every other Rocky movie is still good. I mean, Rocky, the first Rocky, still fantastic. And it's an, a compelling piece of drama. Like, and it won Best Picture, and it won Best Director. And, you know, this is even more nuts. Stallone was nominated for Best Actor and Best Writing. And there are only two other people who can now claim that as well. Their names are Charlie Chaplin and Orson Welles. That's insane. That's an insane list right there for people who've only been nominated for writing and acting in, in the Academy's history. Like, to be nominated... Mind blown. But um, all the other Rocky movies, they have a pure amount of ridiculousness about them to the point where you just don't care and you just have fun with it. Again, take five off the table. Uh, <laughs> but with Rocky Balboa, again, I remember going to seeing that in the cinema and... Um, being completely and utterly amazed by thinking uh, thinking at that moment, I'm not actually laughing with it. I'm not actually laughing at it at all. I'm actually really compelled by this drama again. Like, Stallone's made a really good movie here. Like, I mean, he did a pretty good job with Rocky 2. Rocky 3's okay with, you know, Clubber Lang, and you've got Hulk Hogan for some reason. Um, and then you've got Rocky 4, which I, I know I joke about this all the time, but it is a masterpiece of its own, like... 
atrocity of like America versus Russia, you know, their kind of way of trying, their way of basically saying, oh yeah, we ended the Cold War. What? You know, <laughs> in a boxing match? This is insane. Um, and it's also got these amazing, you know, montage training sequences, you know, the 80s music, there's no easy way out. You know, it's ridiculous but epic and it also has a talking robot what more could you want from that franchise and no one talks about the robot enough no no one talks about the rocky franchise enough and then we have the creed franchise to go with it which again say what you will about them you know they could be seen as cash grabs but in my opinion they are a step forward in not only telling good compelling underdog stories but also a push forward in having more diversity on the screen as well and actually having great actors doing a great thing with the legacy of that franchise even further. So I say let's move more forward with uh, the Frankie and Creed franchises and let's talk about them even more. Yeah, I was actually going to say, do you count like Creed within them? Because I think I saw something not long ago, which was kind of like some of the longest running franchises and uh, ones which we're still getting today and especially ones that have got like characters of colour, etc. in them. And I was like, why has nobody mentioned like Rocky? Because you've now got the Creed films, which, you know, give us Ryan Coogler, which is doing great things with Black Panther so it, it it needs to be worthy of recognition for for just that because then obviously he went and did a billion dollar movie for Marvel absolutely and made basically history of that as well yeah so yeah so yeah absolutely a, a great choice there uh so yeah and I'm sure many people at home will agree uh now going kind of with a question that's a bit more linked to what we're discussing today um I was thinking about books and classic stories uh, obviously, Sherlock Holmes being uh, based on a very classic tale. So uh, this is a question to both of you. Uh, what would you like to see adapted into a big budget film like Sherlock Holmes? Laura, I know uh, you've definitely got an answer for this one. I've got two, but I'm going to go with my first one more. I really want to see Animal Farm done in the likes of how The Lion King and The Jungle Book were done by like John Favreau. Like, I, I just really, really want animal farm to be made into like a live action film please <laughs> i love the title like animal farm the movie <laughs> it's it's honestly it's one of those books that i think i read it about four or five years ago and even to this day like it's still like it's like stuck with me like to this day like but with all like the recent like technology with the cgi like especially like with the lion king and like the jungle book which they might not have been amazing films but they looked incredible it's easily done like you could do animal farm no problem yeah, I think uh, especially Craig's problems with uh, The Lion King, I'd be interested to know how he thinks that would be adapted into something like Animal Farm in which like we follow a turd, you know, in in the, the live action Lion King or live action. Uh, you know, would, would you want to see that story arc in uh, Animal Farm, Craig? I mean, my main question is, because I think the biggest criticism against the look of those animals is just as characters, they don't have the same sort of relatability because, you know, facial expressions, etc. Yeah. So this isn't necessarily a criticism. I think it's just more about your personal perspective with Animal Farm. How necessary do you think it is in terms of conveying the themes of that story, right? Because obviously there are very strong parallels to dictators. And I'm very interested to see how you get like the power and aggression of a dictator when they don't really have the ability to sort of facialize that or is it just because they'll look so terrifyingly real that it'll naturally come through anyway that's my that's my question it'll look so terrifyingly real yeah i mean i think personally like it would work like in that aspect yeah sometimes with the animal stuff especially when it is serious and it's not like the jokey dog films and stuff i'm like why don't you just go kind of like old school with it 
and just have it like voiced over, like, you know, like as if they can telepathically hear, you know, because at the end of the day, a talking animal is just a bit unbelievable anyway. So what's, well, yeah, what the, the is. Yeah, so what, what's more unbelievable then of them like having this kind of like echoey telepathic kind of like voice, which then will make it a bit more serious and you know, I don't know how you'd make it interesting that there would just be shots of just an animal's like stupid. That just bits. comes off as cheap to me. <laughs> Thing is though, what like one film that I think is like brilliant is is Babe. Mm, yeah. True. Yeah, like that does prove that it can work in that aspect. Yeah. Well, Although to be fair, that does do more of David's idea of the sort of telepathic. Uh what was your second choice then, Laura? I know it's already been done, and I think it was back in the eighties it was done. Um 1984. Oh, okay. I'd love to see that done. Like, like, obviously, with the recent technology we've got, and obviously with some of the direct directors we have these days, it'd be incredible to see that done again. I have a request. Someone I want to see. Sherlock Holmes. Mr. Holmes, you must widen your gaze. You underestimate the gravity of coming events. Tomorrow, at midday, the world as you know it will end. Well, there isn't any time to waste then. Is there? The witness stated that he saw Lord Blackwood rise from the grave. I want you to find him and stop him. That'll take every ounce of my not inconsiderable experience. This may be a hobby to you, Mr. Holmes, but I do it for a living. It does make a considerable difference to me, having someone with me on whom I can thoroughly rely. Oh, it's nice to see what's complain about my methods before i never complain when do i complain about you practicing the violin at three in the morning or your mess your general lack of hygiene or the fact that you steal my clothes be a lady holmes does your depravity know no bounds no madam I need you to remain calm, and trust me, I'm a professional. But beneath this pillow lies the key to my release. Craig, you said at the top of this episode why we've decided to talk about it. What was your rationale in the last episode? So what were your thoughts going into this, as you mentioned, because it was the first time seeing it? So, I mean, I was excited to see it. I obviously had particular questions because i'm not somebody who is massively big into sherlock holmes i'm obviously good friends with somebody who is given the last week's guest ed who would have loved to have come on again but unfortunately was um you know busy with capitalism but basically yeah so um obviously he did sherlock holmes movies when he went on masterminds so i know a little bit about essentially you know the main sort of aspects of what you would associate with sherlock holmes which is very much just uh the meticulous sort of analytical mindset um, and just the way he approaches every uh, everything and just every little detail and just being the master of probably one of my favorite techniques, which is, it's never actually said in this film, so I'm just going to say what it's called now so everyone's on the same page. Uh, cold reading, which is basically you look at somebody and on the basis of those little details, you can determine a lot about that person's character. And he does this a number of times throughout the film. So I know about I knew about that. I was always curious about how it would fit in with a Guy Ritchie sort of blockbustery feel, because obviously there's such an emphasis on 
on action and just you know high high pace stakes and tension etc i was curious to see how they would blend the themes and i got i've got to say going in uh I, i think this is the second film that sold me instantly on you know liking it um as in as in quickly it took me about two minutes into the film for me to decide okay yeah i genuinely love this film just because the the actual introduction uh, scene itself was just a great depiction of just exactly what i was looking for and how they can incorporate those skills so um because i didn't realize that sherlock holmes in the book actually does have a fighting style um does actually practice martial arts somewhat uh, so the fact that they do bring it in and they bring it in an ingenious way of just the analytical, okay, so I'll do this, this happens, chain of events, and just finding out just details about that scene as well, just I, I thought would been incredible. So yeah, it just won me over very, very quickly. Like I said, it's the second quickest time a film has done that. I think Dave is laughing because he knows what the first one is. Whiplash? No, 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 that, no, 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 no. Like, I no. love that film. It didn't. Yeah. Uh, no, Dora the Explorer, the movie. Oh, I wasn't there with you for that one. So, but yeah, I can, I remember you talking about that, which is. Yeah, uh, that film took five seconds for me to decide, you know what, I'm going to get on with this film. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that's, uh, it's going to be a great conversation today. Cause like I said, it, it was such a particular time for Hollywood movies in 2009. And for those who don't know, or just need a refresher, uh, on the film, uh, this came out in 2009, as I mentioned, it stars Robert Downey Jr., Jude Law as Dr. John Watson, Robert Downey Jr. obviously playing Sherlock Holmes. Uh, you also have Rachel McAdams as Irene Adler and Mark Strong as Lord Henry Blackwood. Uh, This is Detective Sherlock Holmes and his stalwart partner Watson engage in a battle of wits and brawn with a nemesis whose plot is a threat to all of England. And this is directed by Guy Ritchie and uh, quite a few writing credits on this one. You've got Michael Robert Johnson, Anthony Peckham, Simon Kimberg actually has a credit on this, Lionel Wigram and of course Arthur Conan Doyle is uh, credited as well having originated the story so laura i know for you this was definitely one that you were excited to learn that we were discussing uh because you have a lot of affection for this film and uh it's kind of unique time as you reminded me for sherlock when it did come out because it was the tv show etc so so what makes what made it so stand out in in your mind I think for me, I'd, I was nearly 13 when I went to the cinema to see Sherlock Holmes. And I'd never really seen anything like it. I'd never seen a Guy Ritchie film before, obviously, because a lot of them are like 15, 18s. And I just loved the style of it. I loved Robert Downey Jr.'s performance as Sherlock because he is just, he's absolutely crazy. Like, he's manic, he's scruffy, he's absolutely like beautiful as well, I'll have to admit. <laughs> um I think like what drew me to it was like I liked the pacing of it because it wasn't like some Sherlock Holmes films can be quite slow with their story, which I'm not knocking by the way. But like for somebody who was like 12 at the time, fast paced bit of action was sort of kept me going through it, which those sort of films like stuff like to do with history or anything set in the past, it didn't really appeal to me. But this did. And then, you know, within like six months, they brought out Benedict Cumberbatch's Sherlock and I feel like as soon as that came out, everybody just kind of swept Robert Downey Jr. under the rug and just sort of forgot about him, which is such a shame because it is, I think it's a great performance of his. Yeah, well, it's, and like you said, it is an interesting time for the character because I suppose now we're kind of moving away from those literary adaptions because at one point there was a lot of kind of, 
oh, you know, so they were trying to do the dark universe stuff. There was more coming, you know, out with uh, Victor Frankenstein, for example, and then they were trying to do Dracula, all of those kind of characters. So there was very much like a, you know, callback to all of those kind of like classic tales. There was also things like, you know, Woman in Black and all of that kind of stuff. So going down like the horror route or like famous plays and that kind of stuff. So there was a lot of those type of movies. But like you mentioned, Laura, there was also a lot of focus on Sherlock. So what what do you think it was about that that time? Because even I know Craig would know as well. There was a lot of BBC dramas about other sort of famous literary characters, which people saw like stick out in their mind. Why do you think like Sherlock was so infamous at that time? I can't really like think of many like Sherlock Holmes adaptions before the Guy Ritchie version. And if the when I had a quick look before I came on, most of the ones that came out in the last like fifteen years before that was all like TV adaptions. There hadn't been a big movie adaption, and I think it's sort of like it's what you know the Sherlock Holmes is the character in general it's what it needed to sort of like remind people that he existed like it it had it coming eventually unfortunately I'd say it's bad time with when the tv show came out as much as they are two completely different like you know types of Sherlock Holmes I feel like it was bad timing in one way because all of a sudden we got so much at once because not long after a couple of years after the BBC we got elementary with Johnny Lee Miller as well so there was so much at once bit of an overload in my eyes yeah i guess it was that collaboration of kind of taking people's love of crime thriller mystery tv programs because especially somewhere like itv etc they've always got these kind of like detective dramas etc and like you said the the u.s loves that kind of stuff as well with with elementary so it was kind of like latching onto that uh, but also updating the character because to me it was always kind of like the hat and the the brown yeah. coat etc so i think the the modernization of it is what people really loved uh, especially I think it did need the modernization because all the other adaptions have been obviously set in the time when the books are set but it's incredible how well the modernization of it works like it's it's phenomenal but in terms of film adaptations let's not forget Basil the Great Mouse Detective that it, <laughs> there is a film version of in some way <laughs> going back to animation yeah it it is and I suppose in some ways the Guy Ritchie one feels almost modern in the sense that it is Robert Downey Jr and he's playing him like in a very specific way which appeals to to modern audiences and yeah like you said the the blockbuster action elements of it and we would you know we've talked uh, about filmmakers there, Robbie was saying about, you know, the Rocky films, etc. We mentioned Ryan Coogler. So that's why I was interested in your thoughts as a filmmaker on Guy Ritchie. Did you have much experience with Guy Ritchie before this film? Are you a big fan of his? Is that the movies? What What do you think of him? First of all, kudos for saying Basil the Great Mouse Detective. <laughs> I, uh, you know, if only people could see me fist bumping in the air, I was literally like, yes! It, it was a spectacle, <laughs> honestly. Amazing. Amazing. So it's funny that Laura said that she watched this film when she was 13, because I was 18 when I saw this film in the cinema. And uh, I was far too young, but watching Guy Ritchie movies, I must say, um, because um, I'm very familiar with Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, um, Snatch. Those are the two big ones for me that I absolutely quote pretty much all the time like anyone offers me a cup of coffee and they say do you want some sugar and i'm like no thank you turkish i'm sweet enough <laughs> you know i'm i'm always quoting that or uh, make us a cup of tea would you errold and they'll be like i'm not errold i'm like don't worry you don't get the reference or do you like dogs you know i'm always quoting those movies so am i a fan of guy ritchie to some extent yes when it comes to this film now it was interesting watching this film for the second time only in my life um because i remember watching it back in um 2009 and it was around the reconnaissance of Robert Downey Jr. and his career with Iron Man and Tropic Thunder, which 
I'm sure you'll get to another discussion at some mm. point because oh boy, um, <laughs> what a movie uh, and what a performance, um, sort of. Anyway, the point is, um, he was on this reconnaissance, and you had like this come around, and it wasn't a big surprise to me that he could pull off an English accent because he did really good um, one in Chaplin, uh, in David Attenborough's Chaplin movie, and he does a remarkable performance in that. So I knew he could do the English accent really well. It was just whether or not um, there was a really good blend of Robert Downey Jr. Um, just toning it down enough so that it's not too far away from the most source material, I should say, and also Guy Ritchie's personal voice as a filmmaker. Now, at that, t- that, that time as well, interesting enough, for me in particular, I kind of got tired of the Guy Ritchie kind of, kind of just making films just because people were... They knew what they were getting when they were doing a guy when you're going to see a Guy Ritchie film, which is another level of Tarantino. In another way of putting it, and that's not me being critical by any means, because it just is um, what it is. And I went to Raindance um, for screenwriting classes, and Lockstock was one of the scripts that we studied because he went there for screenwriting classes as well. So we studied his script, and so we broke it all down. So. As a kind of teaching way of things, I kind of understand Guy Ritchie on that sort of level, but on a filmmaking level uh, and film goer level, it's a different kind of relationship entirely. So there's a mutual respect there, but there's also a level of, I kind of wish he had his voice back again. And we're kind of getting that now with his re- recent release with The Gentleman, um, in a way. But actually what I like about Sherlock, this film in particular, is that it does have a wonderful blend of his style and voice mixed in with... Um, this, I, I will say it in this way, but an Americanized version of Sherlock. The one thing I wish it was kind of having in there was things like the, the, the elementary dear Watson and all those quips like that we're so used to, because I think it would have been nice to have that in there. I can't remember if it's in the sequel or not, but if it is, it is. If it's not, it's not. But that's okay. I do think it's very exposition heavy. Um, heavy. That's my only criticism I really can say about the film. Um, it's got visual storytelling in it, but then it's overlaid with over-explanation to the point at which it's Robert Downey Jr. almost having to do like a Tony Stark explanation in over the lines of, you know, his visual, uh, over the visuals. And again, you've got Guy Ritchie doing excellent action um, scenes, which he is known for doing. And um, great snappy um, one-liners in there as well. Like, for me, one of my favourite lines in particular is when when they're about to fight the French guy and the two get the guys in the in the cellar place. He goes, meat or potatoes? I, I thought that was great. That was a great line that to throw in there. And, yeah, I, I, I guess, as I said before, it just has this really wonderful blend of Guy Ritchie's um, voice as a filmmaker, but also has this Americanized style of filmmaking at the time. And clearly they are capitalising on Robert Downey Jr.'s reconnaissance as well. And the one thing I just wanted to really point out, because I completely forgot about this, that Hans Zimmer does the score and it's so good. It's so good. I did not, I completely forgot how good the score was. But also, Sarah Greenwood's um, art direction is absolutely superb. And the fact that she's been nominated for six Academy Awards and hasn't won any yet, it's a crime. It's a crime. It's an absolute crime. So, yeah, those are the things that really stick out to me um, when it comes to Guy Ritchie's style and uh, this film. Have you had any sort more uh, dealings with Ritchie since? then watching it Laura now that you have had these sort of like big watch lists or watching through stuff more in in recent years which you're like oh, okay I kind of see where that was coming from in in Sherlock Holmes you know you might have thought originally that that was unique to this film I've seen I've seen Snatch and 
Snatch is brilliant, especially for, like Rob was saying for all the one-liners, which Sherlock is full of them and they are all incredible. But you are right with his action sequences. He's brilliant at doing them. And as much as Sherlock Holmes isn't known for do- fighting like, a lot, like, I was quite surprised. It works. like. Well, the interesting thing, like you said as well, I think, Rob, with the kind of Guy Ritchie elements as well, is that I think he has that had that element of which some directors have done, which is, oh, said director does this genre and that genre. So very much for a long time, it was you kind of like King Arthur, you know, so it's like, oh, Guy Ritchie does a medieval story and then he does a spy story with Man from Uncle and then like even Aladdin, it was like when that was announced, I was like, really? Like it just seemed like a kind of like, oh, let's just get some sort of name director, regardless of what project it is or whether they have any affiliation with the source material. So he is kind of one of those filmmakers which you can sort of just put their name on it. Whereas I suppose somebody like Tarantino is very much more restricted of people will go, oh, we'd love to see Tarantino do this, that or the other. And he's like, yeah, I would love to do that, but that's just not my bag or I'm not going to waste his time essentially, I suppose, by by doing it. I suppose the only time he has kind of suggested anything like that is with Star Trek, but he's been very specific about the amount of movies he wants to make, etc. So he's he's kind of limited in that way. But yeah, The Gentleman is definitely one then that a lot of people then praise for like the return to classic Guy Ritchie, which a lot of people like missed. Yeah, because for me, I remember watching Aladdin and just thinking I could be watching... It's a lot, again, not to downplay the Marvel movies, but it's, if you've seen one, you've seen them all. You know, that classic singing in the rain line. It's, and that's, when I watched Aladdin in particular, I just thought, this doesn't have to be Guy Ritchie's name on, on this at all, because it doesn't feel like a Guy Ritchie film whatsoever. Like, there's nothing about the film that screams Guy Ritchie to me. And whereas I can see that in Sherlock Holmes, it's toned down to some extent, because it it has to be for a PG or 12 rating, but um, it works. It does really work. But I will say this, I was surprised how horrific there were scenes in Sherlock Holmes. Like, I completely forgot about the pig slaughterhouse scene. And I, oh man, even I had to kind of wince a little bit away from the soaring of the pigs in half. Like, if you've seen the film, like, oh man. Oh, not to mention no. the fact we have three separate man being hanged scenes yeah or hung sorry. and that too and i do actually think and i maybe uh i don't know because i don't know how you guys feel about it but even the last hanging shot i felt that was a bit too far for my liking because i thought we'd seen enough to that point and obviously the whole point is yeah this guy's clearly dead now yeah, we get it, but did you not? Did you really feel the need to kind of have like this drone shot come out from the legs and you know reveal that it's his body hanging from uh, a nearly built uh, tower? Oh, tower bridge. I thought you were referring to the last hanging shot, which is this: they walk into Sherlock's room and he's just there. And I was like, oh, that would be a grim way of ending this film. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Just but at yeah, the end of the credits, just by the way, no sequels, yeah. but <laughs> obviously not what happened. Yeah, just Moriarty's like, um, there's no one for you to face off against. Like, you've been building up to nothing this entire film. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> that was really strange in itself, though. The fact that they even admitted at the very end of the film. So this whole case has been a distraction. I found that really interesting as a choice to write that in there. Like... Because you're basically saying to the audience, ha ha, you've sat there for two hours, but the main, like, course is on his way. You know, he's been teased out all this time. He's been on the menu, so to say, and yet you haven't quite got to that part yet. And I just, I found that really 
interesting. A little cheated, but at the same time, yeah, I found it quite interesting that they went down that route because I still don't think it spoils. I mean, I don't don't know about you guys. It didn't spoil it for me thinking at the end, well, I wasn't distracted. I was still entertained by it. I mean, at the end of the day as well, that's sort of Sherlock Holmes sort of big thing with Moriarty anyway. It's they're basically essentially the the equivalent of two master chess players just going going at it. So it makes perfect sense that for the first outing into this, oh yeah, we'll we'll get there, don't worry. Mm-hmm. For the first outing, it is very much just, oh, this has all been one elaborate play and we have been played. Yeah, fair play. Laura. I kind of like that they didn't like the first like film out of the two of them wasn't Moriarty, because as soon as like now, like if I think Sherlock Holmes, I immediately think, oh, Moriarty, because obviously it's always that's like you know, the main like villain. I think like it was like a safe bet for them to not have him as the main villain to begin with. You know, if the film did well, great sequel, put Moriarty in it, which obviously they did. If it didn't do well, then they didn't like, you know, mess it up. I mean, this yeah, it's the typical franchise thing, right? You never you should never really start with like your biggest hitter. Granted, I don't know how I feel about Blackwood where there are times where as much as the entire thing with him is that he's just replicating magic. The ways they replicate magic, I'm just, okay, these are slightly far-fetched explanations. There are times where you literally just don't explain how he just randomly appears in different scenarios. I know you scientifically explain quite well how other things happen, such as replicating the rain. So when he fires, he sets himself on fire. Um, I thought that was good. How does he randomly show up in houses is my big (laughs) question. And he had those creepy Magic. eyes when he was in prison as well, which I was like, okay, you could buy into the fact that like, this is just like the light, you know, that they, they've deliberately gone, oh, well, that looks creepy, but his eyes aren't actually like possessed or changed. But also yeah. really doesn't explain if he's, if also there's a scene where Sherlock is doing the same occult magic scene, what on earth happened to him? Was he just suffering from blood loss? <laughs> just where he cut his hand and then he's just there, like the, the camera sort of shaking, whizzing and he's there like, oh. How has it been, like, Laura, like, revisiting this, though, since, because you said, like, very much about your, your early love for it. So have things changed? Have you grown, like, a bigger respect for it? Or have you then, so, like, seen, so, like, holes in certain places? What? How have you found it, like, going back to it? Because it's quite interesting, I suppose, how, I mean, Rob have got very much a similar situation. I only watched it in the cinema and never really went back to it. Craig, who had never seen it before. So then somebody like yourself, who's kind of, like, loved it and watched it a lot of times since. Yeah. I still love it. It's kind of like a comfort film to me i've watched it like that many times over the years like i could easily like when if i'm having like a bad day i could easily put it on watch it cheese me up no problem but i've noticed it has its faults and ever since watching the benedict cumberbatch series like i've noticed obviously how like it's could be it's sloppy in places it's not as like defined as like the bbc series is like the bbc series is like polished it but this apart from the last two series which i'm not even going to go into um, those first two series are absolutely like perfect from start to finish the sherlock holmes films both guy ritchie films they do go down the second one is no one as good as the first and they do get very sloppy there's a lot more loopholes and bits that i've started to notice the more i've watched them but there's still that love there i think because of the fact i saw it so young and it's sort of like a film that's stuck with me since i will always love it no matter how bad in the future i think it is yeah, and yeah, it's interesting to see that nostalgia used for a film like this, which like usually can be the likes of your Star Wars or your Marvel and and that kind of stuff. But I think it does speak to that era of films, like I said, because that's why it did remind me of your kind of like Victor Frankenstein's and 
these films which were all trying to like set up something of being like like rob said that the end of it was very much like oh this is only the beginning and then there was so many films out there which then just ended up going nowhere which they were like oh wait until the sequel this is like the mystery character at the end and we just never see that fulfilled was you know to be fair to this one you did get a sequel and there is meant to be a third one as craig was mentioning earlier which is meant to be coming out and guy Ritchie did return for for the second one so it's you know it's not a case of just like a cash grab he's just walked away you know you do definitely have that love there for it but there's still that kind of like american kind of franchise aspect to it of like we want to build up this story we want to put this moriarty character in there which i think you're right laura it, it i respect that they don't use him straight away but there's still that kind of necessity to have to have him in in some way or form and, and build it up I feel like as much as I have wanted a third film ever since like the second one came out, I feel like it's sort of being left a little bit too late. Like it'll be what? By the time it comes out, it'll be pushing like maybe 11, 12 years since the second one. And obviously they couldn't do it straight away because obviously RDJ with Marvel just blew up and absolutely crazy. Obviously Guy Ritchie was doing other films. I feel like maybe they should just sort of put it to bed. Just leave it where it is. Just leave it you know they're all happy you know we know Sherlock's alive sorry I've just spoiled the end of the second one if you haven't seen it um <laughs> I would be interested but, if there was a Sherlock Holmes 3 and he was like died though to be fair a lot, that's a good point yeah no but um he just used like, the same resurrection trick as they happened in this yeah. film <laughs> <laughs> I feel like maybe they should just put it to bed leave it where it is you know I feel like a sequel could be but it might be a very bad decision it might just ruin those first two films for me i, I don't know yeah and again i suppose it, it it's those different eras isn't it we were saying about lord of the rings earlier how that was so specific to that era and that time and even now we're starting to see the, the change to like such ip driven sort of movies or then something that if it isn't of a certain quality or story type then it has to go to streaming etc and yeah it's just like does does a film like Sherlock Holmes, which could be considered like a mid-level movie, can that exist like, you know, now within uh, the current structure that Hollywood has between cinema releases and, and streaming and all of that kind of stuff? And similar as we were talking about with Hellboy, it's like as much as we'd want it has the time kind of unfortunately passed. But I think the biggest like strengths, and if you were to bring it back, is stuff like the cast. You could even kind of do like a Logan element, I suppose, of like, you know, where is Sherlock now? You know, what's happened like all these years later? But for me, you know, I'm not so I'm I'm sold on RDJ as like a version of Holmes. But I think I would still like to see a, a kind of classic modern telling of Sherlock Holmes, which is like the more, you know, like the pipe and the hat and the, the coat and everything like that. Because to me, this is just like Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes, not like he that is Sherlock Holmes. But um, Jude Law, though, I think to me, I think he is a fantastic Watson. Like I see him, I'm like, yeah, fantastic. And I I think in some ways he pulls off or I buy, buy the action a bit more with his character, maybe because of the whole like military history. But I don't know, it's just sometimes when I was seeing Sherlock, maybe it's just because like, I guess you're not used to seeing those kind of like intellectual characters also be great fighters but i think it was just a lot to buy into that he was like this master of like everything um whereas like i I felt that like watson was somebody who had like his strengths but what you know i think they do use effectively like in the boxing scene where you see how he's using his his mind and how he knows certain points within the body i think that that 
works well. It's more just when you see him like jumping off buildings and like rolling around and and at the end of it when like on the bridge and stuff, you're like, no human would survive that. Especially like the boat when the boat like went over him. I was just like, I'm pretty sure that's not how that dock thing works. I'm pretty sure he would have been squished. But yeah, it, it's to me, I think Jude Law is more the standout of like that is Watson, whereas like RDJ, I appreciate him as like Holmes, but I think it work as we were saying earlier maybe if it was more modern setting for for rdj but jude law fits the kind of period time uh, that they're going for i think what doesn't help in for that comparison as well is that it's watson in this film who really has anything of sort of progression you know having to sort of deal with just you know being sick of sherlock and just having to deal with those feelings only to sort of just come together and just realize actually no he does still love the grind etc whereas sherlock is just very much just sherlock and he's basically just influencing anything i can't even call him like a positive flat character because he doesn't really do anything specifically that eggs on watson apart from just keeps him around and just because frankly he does some really weird dickish things in this like paying a gypsy to try and be it's just, oh, your relationship is bad. Maybe you should not do it. Have you seen the second film? Not yet, no. Ah, uh, because he's an even bigger of a dick in that one to Watson at times, seriously. Yeah, because even yeah. in the trailers for that one, you could tell they're kind of levelling up, being like, oh, he's dressed as a woman now and all of this. Because I remember the marketing for this one is very much like, oh, look, he's in this uh, kind of dangerous, risque situation in the bed and stuff like that. <laughs> Rob, what's, what's your thoughts on that? I was, I was just going to say, like, I, I, I wrote down here, um, God, Holmes is a charming prat. <laughs> literally just put that down that's literally the only way i could describe him i was like but i was just going to add like literally um the chemistry between jude law and robert down jr is quite infectious and i think that is down to good casting first and foremost but it's also down to really good directing from richie as well because he is known for doing lads lads kind of movies and it is kind of got that lad bantery kind of relationship there um to the point where you know even i even wrote down here and then they kiss, uh, but they, <laughs> but they're not going to obviously because, well, reasons. Um, but uh, because of the internet, there we go. We'll, we'll call it that. We'll call it that. But yeah, I think that also comes down to again the writing, but also the direction as well. Because I'm pretty sure Guy Ritchie would have like when I've heard like how he does get to know his actors and gets to you know collaborate with them in some way so it's almost like having that kind of best friend mentality of you know going for a going for a pint with them you know going for this going for that you know so there is probably been that kind of camaraderie of you know and also i guess that there's just mutual respect for one another as uh creatives anyway like i'm i'm pretty sure jude law was very much a yes as soon as he saw robert downey jr's name on the on the call sheet or even in the casting whereas i think for years prior it wasn't so much the case because obviously robert downey jr had such a uh reputation of a bad attitude in inverted commas there um also um there was something you mentioned there about the whole smoking the pipe thing i loved the subtle hint of opium but not saying opium that was the other thing i really liked they threw that in there without actually saying it and i was like that's quite clever because of the whole um he said something about his eyes looking very something i think he said something on the lines of red and i was just like i know what you're saying there He's done some drugs. That's what you're saying. I think it's interesting that you mentioned about Guy Ritchie sort of going for a pint with his actors because uh, he does own a pub and that pub appears in the film. There you go. 
it, it's yeah, literally don't. a brief shot. So I just like this idea that he just films near his pub and he's like, right, guys, come on, let's uh, let's go for a pint. And he's there like... <laughs> it's the cheapest rap party ever. Is that why Dave, <laughs> David Beckham was in that Arthur film? He was just like, I want to go for a pint with David Beckham and collaborate with him on uh, what his acting style is going to be. And they're like, are you sure? He's like, yeah. And then just in his head, he's like, I just want to hang out with David Beckham. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think you guys are right. I think the chemistry is like amazing because the fact that the first shot like the one of the first shots of the film where he says like oh good to see you watson and like that becomes like one of the like poster moments of the film like it's in the trailer they use it in the credits when it's kind of going to like the ink drawings because there's something about that shot it's not like the most masterfully crafted you know framed shot but there's just something about like as soon as you see them put together you're like yes and you're like immediately bought into it so that's why i can yeah agree with craig as well in terms of like being drawn into the film um i think as well because the music is very much helping that journey of having the cobbles you immediately think oh sherlock holmes there's cobbles and using the logos the hans zimmer music as you said rob is fantastic that comes in straight away so you're already drawn into that world it is some of the most exciting sort of victorian era music i've heard in a while just because i think most people sort of think of victorian music and they might think of some overblown moments, but usually just sort of very subtle. Here, God, no, just all the instruments just at work, and it was fantastic. And and on the element of Robert Downey Jr.'s Holmes being a bit of a dick, like, I did have to enjoy the kind of, the experimental nature of him and how, again, he wasn't, like, polished or refined. So I liked when, you know, he came in and said, what have you done to the dog? And the dog's just there, like, passed out, like, on the floor. And you're like, oh, God. But, like, the fact he was like, he'll be fine, I'm just... I've just experimented with a, a tranquilizer. And the fact he does it again later in the film, and the dog is just always there, just kind of like stiff, like just not moving at all. I'm not going to lie. I definitely had does the dog die.com on, on standby, just like, do I need to check this film? They, they definitely delve into the kind of psyche of Holmes in like an effective way as well. And, but yeah, I, I don't know about you, Rob. Like for me, I, I suppose revisiting it as well, I was like, wow, I really don't like remember much about this film at all as well i don't know if that's bad in the sense of it being a bit more unmemorable but i was just like wow there was entire sequences like i could remember the like the copper bath thing i could remember like the end fight and the boat scene and stuff but there were other parts of it like rachel mcadams again i don't know if i just didn't know rachel mcadams as much back then but i was like she's in this what the hell where did this come from i was exactly the same i as soon as she appeared i went oh my god you're in this i was completely flabbergasted I think she's a welcomed addition and I think her character does stand out. But there is a certain point where you go, you're now here to just deliver exposition and that's a shame. And that's really annoying because there's so much to that character that she could have done more. And then you get to the very end and she becomes damsel in distress mode and you're like, we could do something so much better here. But yeah, I was exactly the same as you. Um, in that, Rachel Adams completely surprised me that she was there. But also, you know, I, I enjoyed it probably more this time around than I did the first time around. And I think that's probably because, and we've discussed this before, David, on other shows, but like the idea of switching off, you know, there's the filmmaker and then there's the audience member. And there's, you know, as a film student at the time of watching it, 
um i wasn't fully aware to kind of completely switch off you know like your your mind's always in oh, filmmaker mode and you know and oh guy richie's doing such a good job at doing this you know it was an absolute nightmare with your partners like taking them to the cinema and they're, and they're like shut up and just try and enjoy the movie and you're like no but the crane the slow-mo they changed the frame rate on that you know and it's you know and they're just thinking shut up um, but no, the point is, it's not about my love life. The point is, yeah, watching it second time around, I was able to completely switch off and actually just enjoy it for what it was, which is a two-hour pure popcorn entertainment, really, and a great vehicle for Downey Jr. for his reconnaissance. I really like um, Mark Strong as Blackwoods. Like, he's always plays a really good villain. Like... He's like he's such a nice guy, like in real life. Then you see him as Blackwood, and it's like, oh Jesus! Like you are like, he's kind of really creepy. It's he. He seems to go through like waves, doesn't he, Mark Strong? There was at that time again. He was like in Stardust, and he was kind of like a villain there. And then he was in Kickass, etc. And then he was like, oh, now I'm a good guy for a while with like the Kingsman movies. And then again, he's like, oh, I'm going to like a villain again with Shazam. So. But I think it is unfortunate that even his casting in a way does make him kind of like, oh, I'm like the kind of stereotypical villain. And what you said, Rob, earlier as well, of like he is there just to distract you as well. And I think the fact that you always know that it's not real kind of takes away some agency from him. There's kind of the idea of just like this whole like, I will bring down Britain and all of this kind of elements. And you're just you like... You always know that he's not magic. There were times where I was just like, is there just no mystery to this? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it would be a choice. Because like I said, I was just like, these just seem so elaborate. I'm unconvinced if they can convincingly tell me this isn't magic. Uh, yeah. And then I was just like, all right, you win this round. <laughs> yeah, no, I think there's definitely times where you kind of are questioning it. But I think it's just, again, even in the way he's presented in the film is just that it is not anything wholly unique. I think that that, you know, it definitely is like Robert Downey Jr. Jude Law are like the strengths. And even this film says like, Oh, we're setting up like the main villain in this film, which is going to be the better villain to Holmes. And it's not going to be, you know, Blackwood. I think what sells this film for a lot of people is Robert Downey Jr. Considering the fact it came out the year after Iron Man, like if this film had came out, say like, as I was like, 16 17 i'd have gone solely just for robert downey jr at the time i went because me and my parents we all liked the look of it but if i'd have been older i'd definitely gone just for him that would have sold it for me and i think that's i don't actually know many people who've watched it the odd person who's watched it literally watched it for him and that was it it wasn't because it was a guy richie film was like oh no it's robert downey jr that's why i'm watching it yeah well that was the thing i kept thinking during this is like well i know if they even though i have my issues with like what type of homes he's playing or whether they should do like the classic homes etc and i'm not sure if robert downey jr would be that actor to play that sort of classic version of him for me it's like well the business person inside of me says that you know he's going to sell tickets etc and that, you know it does work in that sense so yeah it, it is a tricky bands and i think that they managed to do the best with that and that he is at least bringing something you know unique and different there and he definitely had his vision as we were saying with like something like Doolittle. it's you know it didn't work so much there but you know it very much succeeded here and i think he does you know he is a convincing kind of like englishman in that sense it's a, you know it's a bit elaborate but he's kind of a theatrical character so i think he gets away with it and he does have like i think you were saying about the visuals etc rob you know the the costume uh, choices do a lot for him again even though he is more of a kind of uh sort of rogue version of the character not so like 
sort of suited up as much, but it kind of works for his version of Holmes, I think. So, and and like you said, I think the visuals are all fantastic for this film in terms of like giving you that sense of England at that period and seeing, you know, because I didn't mind so much the zoom out of uh, the hanging thing because I thought it did look quite epic in some ways. And it was very much that gray, dark England we're used to seeing from those type of movies. And I did appreciate a lot of the sets and that kind of stuff, the details they were going into, especially like when they had like the the grave that they uncovered and there was that man's body in there and there was all the maggots. And I was like, oh, you know, like this is just, yeah, kind of creepy. What I love about that description, David, he said, I didn't mind the hanging scene because I liked all the pretty buildings in the background. <laughs> it's like, you're ignoring a big part of the issue of that scene. No, but I just thought there was a kind of like... Remember, dark. kids, death is okay so long as it's in a nice place. <laughs> I did have to think it was a bit weird from Holmes's point of view that he was like, oh, whoops. Okay. You know, I thought it seemed like they were built into a more like, because he was so on a mission to make sure that nobody died. I I thought it was a bit strange that he was happy to just let him die, especially after he has faked his death. I kind of thought he would want to see him suffer through prison, etc. But I don't think he cares that much, right? He only cares about the actual intellectual pursuit of whether or not something whether or not he can prove the uh, solve the mystery at that point, he'd done it. I think he did the right thing of just, I'm going to try and save him at the point where he just couldn't. He's just like, it's not like I did nothing. So yeah, no. I, I, I don't think it's right to say that Sherlock Holmes is a character that gets emotionally invested. Yeah, no, I, I think the, the visual thing with the bridge thing is more just the artistic, like, oh, the darkness of just seeing something like that hanging. I suppose it just goes back to the days of like, when you see like the medieval stuff and there's people like hanging in the village as they enter, I just kind of saw it as, as that kind of thing. But, you know, ultimately still grim. Um, but I'm glad that they did answer the like, how did he get away with the hanging scene? You know, like by having that scene with Sherlock when they come in at the end. Uh, but, you know, lastly, do you, guys, do you guys feel that this was an effective mystery? As you know, that is probably one of the most important things for, for a Sherlock Holmes film. I think when I was younger, yes. Obviously, you know, like didn't really think a lot into it you know i was watching if it was a good film as i've got older yeah you can definitely even though i know what's going to happen you can there's not as much mystery at all like when i think about it, it's like mm, no my <laughs> well my issue with it is and i i hmm, how do i put this it doesn't assume the audience is stupid let me put it that way but it also does at the same time because it overly explains every single detail of how you get to the big reveal. It's basic the movie as a whole, to sum it up really, is it's setup, 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 reveal, rewind, setup, reveal, rewind, setup, reveal, and then payoff, the end. That is essentially the, the, the movie in a nutshell. So a lot of the mystery is kind of taken away by a lot of the rewinding and a lot of the um setups to the point where i remember when i first watched it i did feel sort of lost but then it that's the whole point it then rewinds it for you to then say oh if you miss that part here it is again um and it's watching it this time around i again i wasn't doing the filmmaker mode on but i was thinking while i was watching it as an audience member is it insulting my intelligence a little bit for me to think that i can't remember what i saw before and having it to be re-explained to me um, through, and this is what I was saying before about exposition and overuse of dialogue, just having it replayed for me is enough. I don't need Sherlock to be like, oh yes, and I'm so intelligent, I'm going to repeat it one last time, blah, 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 blah. You know, and as much as charming as it can be, but it can also be, like most 
British people very irritating um, <laughs> to be here in an annoying British accent, repeat things and overly explain things and apologise a lot, which we do. But not so much for Sherlock. But the point is, it's over. even as I've just explained it just then, it's overly explained. Yeah, I kind of, I also wish that they did use the kind of rewinding stuff more for like the fight scenes and stuff because you get that boxing scene and I remember seeing that thinking like, oh, they're going very much for like, oh, this is dark, gritty Sherlock Holmes. And I suppose since then I've been like less cynical and kind of appreciate the stylized approach to it. But it's kind of a shame that they don't use that more in the film because that kind of throws you that scene, which it shows like, oh, this is how I'm going to do it. And then it like cuts to him and you're like, oh, did it actually happen? Is is, is he just because kind of the way that other films like set up your expectations, you kind of worry for a second that he's kind of like gone through this entire thing. And then like he just punches him in the face and he passes out or something you're like, oh, that would have been disappointing. But thankfully, you know, they respect their audience and it, it, it kind of shows you then in the sort of like real time playthrough of that. So I, I kind of wish that they had done that again. I kind of did kind of like it as well when sometimes you are like, oh, what, what happened there? You know, so then they show you when he jumps out of the window and, you know, he's like rushing to get the fake nose on and stuff. I at least appreciated when like he fell into the, I don't know what it is, like a coal house or something. I was like, I don't know if he intended to go in there to look more dirty or if it was just literal convenience. He was like, oh, I now look even more uh, indistinguishable. The fact that I've like fallen into this place that makes me all like dirty and sooty, etc. So I thought that that was kind of a clever use of it as well in the sense that you see something and go like, oh, what's going on there? I know there's something not quite right. And then you go, oh, it was Holmes. That's that's quite clever. That definitely goes through like our main sort of thoughts on the film and the main aspects of it. And uh, obviously when we're talking about its legacy, etc. And we're saying about whether it should be remembered, it's important to go through some of the interesting facts about this film uh, so we now go to our new section which is called vhs corner because uh, we sort of going back to the legacy we're talking about rewinding we can rewind back and sort of remember some of the uh interesting points in the film but know how it was made or how it was done so uh, over in vhs corner this week is craig so craig what are some of the interesting facts you found for sherlock holmes so a couple of things I've been dying to talk about because they've been mentioned a few times um, throughout the episode already, but because uh, everyone knows the the character of Sherlock Holmes, the iconic look, uh, the the iconic phrases, but obviously we talked about the fact that they weren't in this film, and th- there was a reason for that. In that, when Guy Ritchie signed on, the very f- the very first thing he insisted on is they were removed and not actually appear in the films themselves. So it was a directorial choice. There hasn't been any official confirmation on exactly why this is, but I think. The sort of overarching idea is that those ide- those facets weren't actually canon in the actual stories themselves. They originated from um, particular stage adaptations, um, and then they carried over onto the um, the sort of nineteen forty six movies, um, and then it's just been sort of uh, absorbed into the cultural zeitgeist. The same as like uh, "Beam me off, uh, beam me up, Scotty" has never been said in Star Trek. Uh, Luke, I am your father, not actually being the quote in Star Wars, th- those sorts of things. They've just, people assume because it's so ingrained in culture, that's the case. But yeah, it was an active choice for those elements to be removed. So when you're all saying about, oh, I really want the iconic look, I'm just like, mm. you weren't getting it with Guy Ritchie. <laughs> um, on the aspect of, uh, I just want to quickly, uh, I haven't written this down, but I do remember this from my research, D- David talking about uh, the fight scene with like the bowl. Um, what's really interesting is they use a special camera 
So basically that was all done in a single take and it was like a one second shot. But because of this camera, they were able to break it down and slow it over essentially seven seconds to be able to do that sort of um, choreographed breakdown of what he's going to do in each instance. I can't remember if there was a particular name for the type of camera they used, but they did use that camera specifically for actions like that. And also in the introduction scene as well, where we first see it. When it comes to fighting then, uh, Sherlock Holmes in the actual stories does actually have fighting prowess. He's described to be an expert in a form called uh, Baritsu. However, in this film, he uses a different martial art, uh, which is the same, uh, same art being practiced by Bruce Lee and Ip Man Yi, uh, which is the Wing Chun Kung Fu style. Uh, the reason for this is, is because in real life, D Robert Downey Jr. actually is a practitioner of that art. And that fight scene in the bowl uh, between him and uh, David Garrick was actually coordinated with the help of uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s actual trainer. Uh, so that's why it was like really professionally broken down in that particular way. So it is actually good to see that there is some legacy of Sherlock fighting, even if we have literally no idea about it. Uh, however, despite all of that training, it didn't actually stop Robert Downey Jr. from getting hurt because uh, there is a scene where he's fighting Dredger, so prayed by uh, Robert uh, Malay. Um, he accidentally knocks out Robert Downey Jr. in one of the in one of the scenes. Uh, yeah, which is when you think back to the end scene, it's not hard to imagine how that happened. Is that the guy with like the giant hammer? Yeah, thing? yeah, that makes yeah. sense. <laughs> so we obviously talked about the fact that for Guy Ritchie's had to, to uh, tone down a lot of his style and. And we mentioned about it being, you know, uh, PG or not rated R. Uh, so this is actually his first ever film where it wasn't rated R in the US. It was rate, uh, rated 12 in the UK. And also he had no involvement in the writing process of this film whatsoever. His first ever film to do that. And, and finally then, and I think this is just interesting, essentially an interesting what if for this film. Um, because the, there was almost another major name that we saw in the film, but didn't because of uh, relationship disputes. Uh, in that for a while, uh, Sienna Miller was originally in talks for one of the major roles. But then the moment they get Jude Law involved, because obviously they used to be engaged. And that did not work out. Uh, and I actually wrote in my oh, notes, oof. I love the, the Bruce Lee um, fact. I think that's amazing. I think that's probably my... Out of the ones mentioned there, I think that, and it makes perfect sense as well. Um, when you watch the looking back over the film now, you could be like, Oh, yeah, okay, that's pretty cool. And uh, uh, David, as you know, I'm a fan of Bruce Lee as well, so that's quite a nice fact to know as well. So, yeah, cool. Some crazy stuff that happens during that, especially because what was like the the one before the Sienna Miller one? Uh, about this is just the first, uh, a couple of firsts for Guy Ritchie. Oh, oh the one before that, then. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> the fact that Robert Downey Jr. got knocked out. Yeah, I suppose I did say about that. But yeah, it's, yeah, interesting stuff. <laughs> but um, yeah, well, we now go on to our section, which is the movie vault uh, and taking all of that into account. So our thoughts on what we thought about the film, whether it was revisiting it, watching it for the first time um, and knowing like how it was made in some respects and kind of like now knowing whether it does have a legacy um, how it played into certain parts of history in terms of there being TV shows and other similar adaptations at that time. You know, we now ask, does Sherlock Holmes from 2009 deserve to be remembered for all time and gain the honor of a place in our movie vault? So uh, first of all, I'll go to Laura because I suppose you, you have the, the biggest link. Yeah, because you have the most affection for it in a way. Oh, uh, 
I want to say yes only because of my love for it. But then when I consider like the other like versions of Sherlock out there, like straight away, I'm like, I know it's a TV show, but like for me, BBC's is like amazing. I feel like I should say no for that reason because I know it's a TV show, but the legacy of that TV show is going to live on for a hell of a lot more than the Guy Ritchie film. So I think I'm going to have to say no as much as it breaks my heart to do so. Yeah, that's a good point. If, you know, if it is like the definitive Sherlock portrayal, if there is a better version of it, whatever format it's in, it's, you know, it it is detrimental to it, unfortunately. Uh, Rob, what's your feelings on, on the question? It's interesting because all the way through this, I was saying to myself that, and Laura's brought up a really good point about there being a more definitive version of Sherlock out there and I think more popular I think it's fair to say as well um but I'm probably going to stick with my original answer and say and say yes I think it does deserve to be in the film vault and the reason being is because at the end of the day Sherlock Holmes is like uh like a uh it's like Hamlet you can have it portrayed by several different actors in several different versions and everyone have their you know favorite version in some way and for the for a lot of people, this will be their first time actually being introduced to Sherlock Holmes and actually going back to the books and then going back to the um, Benedict Cumberbatch version. And some it's a lot like, again, not to bring it too much into him, but I am wearing the outfit at the end of the day. Um, but it's a lot like the Batman thing of who's your favourite Batman because everyone will identify with the one that they grew up with or the one that they really grew up with or the, the, the nostalgia thing. And again, that's why I don't think we should really close the door in the idea of a third Robert Downey Jr., Jude Law, Sherlock Holmes film, because in 2021 and in 2022, we're seeing even more nostalgia come back to us. And we're seeing um, a quote unquote legends (laughs) return. And um, I wouldn't be surprised if they did make a third film, but just to capitalize on the idea of the big nostalgia hit that we all like. And I think, Laura, you said it's like been 12 years since the last film or maybe 10 years. I'm not sure how long far gone it's been, but I wouldn't be surprised if years down the line there is an audience for this and, you know, there is a reconnaissance for that. And as I said, this is an accessible way of engaging with Sherlock Holmes um, for many, uh, I will say kids, actually, because it's very accessible for kids to, to see this and be like, you know, they can identify with certain aspects of the characters and enjoy it for the mystery and it spelling out to them in some way. And again, it'll make them go off and look at the books and look at the other pieces of work and read the other works. So I'm all for that, to be honest with you. And it's harmless fun. That's, yeah, two interesting takes because we've had films previously which are like, yeah, it's it's fine. It does a great job. And then, like I said, but then is if it's the best or stand out you could still love it and enjoy it, but it's whether it deserves to be remembered for all time in the sense of like, well, if there are better versions of it, but like you said, it's that element of like, oh, well, there's lots of different versions. It, it's a, it's a, it's a tough one. And uh, let's go to the person who chose it for this episode. Craig, what do you think? I think it's also important to note that we've put films in the film vault, which was probably the film definitive version of it, but not like the version you'd think of for all time, because let's face it. I think if people are going to think of Sherlock Holmes as a concept, Yes, they might think of the BBC property, but realistically, they got to think of the Arthur Conan Doyle books first of all, right? So I think it, on on those grounds, I think it would be harsh to sort of mm-hmm. 
because otherwise you wouldn't be able to put in any adaptation of anything ever unless it was just absolutely groundbreaking and i i think for a lot of films especially adaptations i think it's too much to expect them to consistently defy the odds of what the books can achieve because otherwise it means that there are just lots of books that can't go in there so i think it does come down to is it is it a strong film adaptation? I think the other aspect I'm not even going to argue, but I think it's worth noting is, is it the strongest Guy Ritchie effort? Obviously the answer there is just going to be no, and I'm not going to argue that point. But So I, that's why I'm going gung-ho on the idea of, I think it, I think it is, in terms of films, I think it is the only interpretation of Sherlock Holmes. I think the majority of people, unless your name happens to be Ed Mason, mm-hmm. will actually just discuss. Um and I think it does I think it does a good job of subverting a lot of what people would expect from this sort of film anyway, uh, whilst also still honoring a lot of what actually makes Sherlock Holmes as a character very strong and compelling. So my argument is yes, put it in. Interesting. And I think that it's a good point that Craig mentions about the fact that like if if it's not the best version or if it's the original source material is going to be the ultimate version because ultimately I suppose we would already be spoiling a future episode which would be the Basil the Mouse Detective can't go in because it's not the definitive version of Sherlock Holmes <laughs> but um, yeah I think yeah and and the fact that it is one of the main and only sort of standout Sherlock Holmes adaptations I think is noteworthy and I don't know about you guys but I, I feel I don't feel it's too like forgotten i i remember a lot of people like shouting about a game of shadows like sherlock holmes a game of shadows when it came out so i'm not sure if it was considered like a flop or anything like that but i still felt that there was a lot of people who were excited by that sequel and went to see it and i think the fact that there has still been conversations about a third film is similar to hellboy in that sense that yeah it might have not made as much money as the studio would have wanted but i think there's definitely still like a kind of fan base for that franchise can i change my answer to a yes because i feel guilty for saying no (laughs) (laughs) i feel really guilty no but i don't know i was kind of with laura at first but i don't know maybe craig and rob have swayed me would you say they've swayed you laura maybe rob swayed me as soon as rob started talking i was like i've made a really big mistake oh my god what have i done (laughs) also thank you i am present but okay i'm joking it's fine it's fine um yeah i think I think that there's enough fun elements in there and we've mentioned enough like stylistic stuff, the Hans Zimmer element, the the chemistry of Jude Law and Robert Downey Jr. and the kind of, even just the aspects of jo- Robert Downey Jr., which again, we said like he's a bit of a dick, but also they are quite clever in the sense of like that scene where he's like, oh, I see there's ink on your ear and and the, there's, uh, you know, the necklace that you're wearing. It's all kind of stuff that you do miss about certain characters now when it's very like, quick and punchy and they need to be like jokey etc it's quite a refreshing approach to saw like your main character almost like a sort of spock appeal to him i suppose in that sense of seeing someone who's like quite different in that way but people still love and sort of cheer for them so yeah i think uh i think craig and rob have uh turned us around on that one so this week going into the movie vault then is sherlock holmes let us know at home do you agree and uh, what else you would like to see in the movie vault. But now, as we come to the end of our discussion on today's film, that can only mean we go over to our end game. We're in the end game now. Okay, end game time. So this is a game that is very simply called Detective Work. 
So essentially what I've done is it's basically just a very simple quiz. Uh, I've written some questions about the film um, that basically I'm going to ask you guys just to see if you were able to pick up on details here or there, just to see, you know, how much those Sherlock sensors have been working. And basically it's just going to be that. I ask you questions, you answer them. Uh, once you answer, basically, if you just send your messages to, to David privately, just for verification, because some of the things we've had in the past are somebody go, I'm confidently going to say this answer. Next person. Yeah, I, I was also going to say that answer. Were, were you really though? <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. So there are 12 questions in total. Uh, so there is a, but there is a maximum of 13 points. You'll see exactly why this is. Essentially, uh, the winner of the game will basically be able to choose between their potential film choice or one of our film choices for the film that is discussed in next week's episode. So you start. So uh, my film is from 2018. It's quite a controversial film in the sense that not like hugely, massively divisive, but it's from a massive franchise, which this was maybe one of the first films that actually made people go, oh, that wasn't that great. And it's a film that has got an upcoming sequel. Uh, it is a film that will be changing cast as well. And it has a certain cast member who was in Sherlock Holmes, who was very front and center in this film, especially in title. So uh, I felt that this was worth discussing just because it's it's such a kind of turning point for this franchise. Whereas my film is from 2003. It is the ways it's related to this film, uh, because I, I think overall it is very much, uh, as as David's is, very, uh, very much part of a beloved franchise. The two ways it relates to this film are as follows. In terms of action, I think it mimics a lot of the action that we get in this film, in which is sort of crazy and loony and just all over the place at times. But also, I think it, in terms of you know actors who are on the revival uh, revival trend, um, this um, Sherlock Holmes had Robert Downey Jr. very much is coming into a stride, and this film has an actor who is very much seeing a revival this particular year. And I think this is one of the last times we see him before he sort of disappears for a bit so i think it'd be good to sort of remind ourselves of this actor okay well mull that over if you guys do get to win or potentially one of your chosen films as well and uh yeah we'll see who comes out on top okay so are you ready for the first question question one which of these two characters physically appears in the film first is it sherlock holmes or watson this is tense this is really tense already. <laughs> My brain's working all the time. <laughs> it's got the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire music. Like, do, 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 do. <laughs> I'd like to phone a friend. Um... <laughs> well, Rob, you now have my number, so... <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Okay, we have two answers in. Okay, so Laura, what is your answer? I put Watson because I am 100% sure he sat in the back with... Um... Of like a carriage with um oh what's his name the detective Lestrade. I I put Watson as well because I remembered that Downey Junior's Holmes is running off a rooftop and I think that's like the second or third shot in. And the correct answer is Watson. So you both get a point. As Laura correctly described, he is indeed the very first thing that we see is a, uh, a zoom in shot going into the carriage where he is indeed sat with Lestrade and other various police officers on their way to the raid. Well remembered. This Sweet. is so tense. Mm -hmm. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's going to get more tense and you'll see why. Number two, 
What type of wood is Watson's cane said to be made of? Oh my god. You are joking. <laughs> Again, wait until you see some of the things I've got coming up. Can I phone a friend? <laughs> What's even great about this is there are questions on this quiz that David hasn't seen. So David can't even help you with facial expressions. Yeah. So we've got no options for that one. Uh, nope. It is literally what kind of wood do you... Uh, yes, yeah, what kind of wood do you think it is? Oh, Christ. I mean, it narrows um, it down. I'm telling you it's wood. <laughs> <laughs> that does not help in the slightest dodgy. I mean, it stops you saying steel. I like how you guys have said as well, like, oh, can I phone a friend? It's like, we've already talked about this film is not as remembered. So I don't, I think if anybody's going to remember, it'd be us. <laughs> I think, I've I think got two stupid. answers in my head. The stupidest thing is, I actually typed wood at first, and I just realised that's not an answer. Right, I mean, I'm technically put... it is an answer, it's just not a very good one. <laughs> it's just not the right one. <laughs> if, my, right. if what I've put is wrong, and it's my other answer, I'm going to scream, oh god. Okay, have they right. both submitted? I, I, I think I'm wrong, we but I'm going to put this. There we go, here it is. They're both in. Okay, okay so we'll start with Rob. Uh, I put sandalwood, I know that's wrong. Sandalwood. And then, Laura, we'll start with I've, the answer you submitted and then the other answer you think it is. I put mahogany and then I was thinking, was it oak? And I thought, no, it, I, that's too weak in my eyes for okay. like a cane. So the correct answer is, it's a rare African snakewood. So you had sandalwood as a snakewood, maybe. <laughs> you can't give him that. No, oh, no, 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 I'm not no. going to. <laughs> Sorry, Rob. I'm just trying to make you guys feel better, that's all. <laughs> Okay, oh. let's go with a slightly easier one then. As in, this is a detail that is brought up frequently throughout the film, so you have more of a chance of remembering it. Question number three. What is the name of the newspaper that appears frequently throughout the film? Oh, God. Oh. You gotta love that, Craig. He's like, oh, this comes out frequently throughout the film. That thing that's, like, written, not, like, said. <laughs> This game is about noticing small details. I, I think it's this. I've sent my answer. I don't even have an answer because I genuinely don't know. I'll just make up a name of yeah, a newspaper. We, we, if, if there was a newspaper to exist in the Sherlock Holmes world, we want to know where it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Um, okay, I've took a random guess of some. Okay, so we'll start, we'll start with Laura. I put like the London Telegraph or some, something like that. London Telegraph and Rob? I actually put the Times. Okay, and the correct answer is Police Gazette. Oh. The Times just makes me think of those, like, Sunday, like, this Sunday in the Times, you can win, yeah. like, a new CD and, <laughs> like, a holiday to Spain. It's not going to be the Daily Star now, is it? Because <laughs> otherwise we would have been page free all over it, wouldn't it? It just that would, would have been that, more memorable. That would have been that scene with Sherlock on the bed. <laughs> <laughs> well, you say that. Question number four. When handcuffed naked to Irene's bed and a chambermaid enters, what does Holmes claim is under the pillow covering him? And I want the exact wording. <sighs> the exact wording, like... Yeah. So it's the, uh... the something, something, something. Bear in mind, think of the sequence oh. of events in that. In yeah, that. She walks I, in, he's... sees him. She, He says something. She runs off screaming. Oh, yeah, because it's a gag. Um, yep. I can just remember like the basics of it. I can't remember the exact thing. Um... Well, depending on how close you are, like I'll, I'll say whether or not it, it fits my criteria of exact wording. I think it's this. I may have seen this film like numerous times, yet I can't remember anything. It isn't one of those type, well, it doesn't strike me as one of those kind of like 
see the lanes along with the film <laughs> type yeah, of films. <laughs> I did try and pick for the the two quote questions the most memorable quotes from for, for I me. Think I- I've sent my answer, and I, I I think it's wrong, but it's something along the lines of that, I think. Okay, so we'll start with Rob. Um, I'll try and do it in the Sherlock Holmes way. Okay. Um, so, uh, underneath this uh, pillow holds the key to my freedom. It's what I thought he said. Okay. Something along the lines of that. And then Laura? I thought he just said it was like the keys to the handcuffs are like under the pillow. But like, that's literally what it is. I just can't remember it. Okay, so the exact so the exact wording is... Under the pillow, you'll find the key to my release. Oh, no! So close. Oh. I will award half a mark because you got essentially the basis of it. But the ex- but the, the unique word was not quite there, so I can't give you a full point. So I will give you half a mark. So on to that other quote question. Mm-hmm. This one I hope is a bit more memorable and a bit simpler. <laughs> So during the end fight scene against uh, Dredger, or as David calls him, the guy with the hammer. That's what I call Thor as well. (laughs) Watson aggressively yells that Holmes should do something to Dredger. What is that very simple action that he should do? What does he say? I'll give you a small hint. I think this is the most Guy Ritchie line in this film. Got it. I think this is what he says. I think I have. Oh, no. (laughs) I didn't want you to say that. (laughs) Okay, so Laura? Does he say like nut him? Like Rob? <laughs> nut him. And the answer is Nut him! <laughs> yes! You are both getting a point. <laughs> this is so weird to see on my WhatsApp just two people saying nut him. <laughs> like, it's like what? Yeah. Question number six, and this is where I think things get weird. Towards the beginning of this podcast, I said that the process of of when you look at somebody and determine details of their life is called a very specific thing. What did I say that thing is called? Oh yeah, did I not mention the small details also flows over into this podcast? (laughs) I have a very bad memory with stuff like this, like short term. I didn't realise we were playing I literally just told you. Come on, man. Like, See, David, somebody knows the game. (laughs) Can I get like half a point? Because I think I know what letter it begins with. Can I get a repeat of the question? Yeah, sure. Uh, So towards the beginning of this uh, podcast, I said that the process of looking at someone and determining determining details of their life based on how they look is called something very specific. What did I say that thing is called? Tell you what, I'll be nice. I'll I'll say it's called a blank reading. So I just want the first word. So it's a blank reading. I I know I'm wrong, but I'm going to, yeah. I'll send it. I have no, I, honestly, I've got no answer at all. All I know is that is the letter it begins with, I think. Okay. Well, if you know the letter, you might as well try and guess more of the word. The first word that comes into my head, I know it's wrong, but okay. I literally couldn't think of anything. Okay, so Rob? I thought it was blind, but it, it, it's. I think it's wrong. Laura? I thought put power. I thought it began with a P. I don't know why. That I've got that stuck in my head. Okay, the answer is it's a cold reading. Oh, oh. completely wrong. Yeah. Because uh, I was technically next to the letter C, does that mean I get a point? <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm, I'm not that generous. No, it's something. Uh, it's something in a lot of like uh, conning culture. So basically, you learn that technique to understand how to ma- in, uh, emotionally manipulate the person you're about to con. So it's a lot. It's done in a lot of sort of uh, high dramas, 
uh, where basically you look at someone and, and things like, you know, looking at the security guard at the casino and just working out, okay, how can I get in? Right. He looks really tired. He's wearing a nicotine patch. He's probably, he's probably quit smoking because he's got a child on the way. So just go up to him. And it's like, Hey man, how's the kid doing? And you'll get the sort of emotional response. Then that's how like Sherlock Holmes also works. Question number seven. One of the facts that I talked about in VHS Corner, what it, what style of martial arts practiced by both uh, is both practiced by both Bruce Lee and Robert Downey Jr., which is also utilized in this film. Rob is just kick, kicking himself because he was just there like, I'm a big fan of... <laughs> I know, I know. I literally was like, oh my God. The thing is, I, I wrote... know what it begins with. I know what the letter is as well. I know what I the know letter is as well. Yeah. Oh. That's literally all I've got. I'm not even going to try spelling or pronouncing it. So I apparently can't. this round has now just become let's play answer the least racist thing you can. Or how close am I in the alphabet to the actual answer? <laughs> um, no, uh, you're not going to end up with an answer from me because I really I am think, stumped. I think I've just remembered it. Because I remembered... The, I was just about to say it then. <laughs> I just remembered Oh, why didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we have one from Rob. Okay, so start with Laura. I haven't got one. All I can remember is I think it began with a letter B. That's literally it. Okay. Um, I forgot. I, I literally just sent it and I forgot one word in it. Um, so I put Kun Du, but I, I meant to put Jeet Kun Du. Okay, that that's nothing as to what I've got because I've got Wing right, Chun okay. Kung Fu. <laughs> Just Kung Fu. No, Wing Chun. Oh, Wing Chun. Oh, right. Where am I getting like the letter B from? I don't know. I think you went down the same form as me. I thought it was like Biatsu or something. Which is, like, yeah, your... that's what I was thinking. Uh, Baritsu is what Sherlock Holmes in the books practices. Ah. 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 So we weren't going mad. <laughs> no, you weren't going mad. You were unfortunately latching on to the wrong details. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, question number eight. By, uh, first, David, would you, uh, would you like to tell us the scores? Uh, so it's one and a half to Rob, one to Laura. <laughs> High stakes game. High stakes. <laughs> question number eight. I mentioned that this film was the second quickest time that a film has taken to win me over. What did I say was the first, the first quickest film to win me over? Oh, I remember. That's good. And I hope I don't get penalised for not putting the movie, by the way. <laughs> no, 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 I don't work like that. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> Would you recommend I watch this movie? Honestly, yeah. It's. I mean, there are obviously some really, really kiddie parts to it that I didn't like, but bar that, it's actually quite intelligent at times, just generally entertaining. I was, I was really surprised, especially because this dick made me go on my own to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the, the reviewing what a joy when you'd be like oh, sorry you have to review this <laughs> okay so rob what is it it's dora the explorer laura dora the explorer yeah it's dora the explorer <laughs> literally five seconds i i won't even tell you the joke that i saw and i was like okay this film might be smarter than i thought <laughs> and if the questions already in this quiz didn't make you hate me already i think this next one definitely will Oh, God, here we go. Right, and this question is worth two points. So essentially you get a point for each of these oh. answers. Question number nine. What two colours are my mug? Oh! And I and you'll notice I've taken the mug away. Right, do I have to include the colour of the handle or not? No, no, no. So we're excluding the handle. So basically the picture part Why? of the handle. Why did you ask that? Because I literally wrote that down. Okay, so the picture <laughs> the picture part of the handle, essentially from your perspective, you'll see two primary, two main colors. I can't say primary colors. Oh. 
How right. you not call a blind drop? I literally, I saw and I thought I'm going to be so cheeky and put white. That would be so funny. But I've put my answers there now and I've, I've put it out there. I mean, I might have, I might have awarded a bonus point because I wouldn't want to <laughs> argue the toss. But okay, so Laura, what do you think they are? Green and black. And Rob? Uh, I think I looked at the wrong mug because I put yellow and blue. Yeah, so you're looking at David's mug. <laughs> My mug is indeed, you can see green and black. Oh. I love that as, as well as like, usually people at home would be like, oh yeah, I know this, or I've heard it or something. People are like, we don't know. <laughs> we weren't there. Like, it was not the question that, I expected. There's a, re- no. there's a reason why there are uh, 12 questions in this. So yeah. I think if for those at home, you can play along with 11 of them. Yeah, I think uh, if anyone at home did get that, well then. <laughs> okay. Question number 10. How did I describe the nature of Tommy Wiseau's uh, voice as a filmmaker? Oh, yeah. Gosh. We're in the real obscure territories now. Can you elaborate on the question? Yeah. So essentially we were talking about Tommy Wiseau has a very unique voice. And then I sort of ended the conversation with, he does have a, um, a unique voice in that he's essentially then the rest of the, the sentence is the answer. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Rob's just like, see, this is what I would say from it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, well. Oh. Now my mind's gone completely blank. Like, I in my head, I keep thinking, like, I know what it is, but I know it's not the right answer. I mean, I'll give you a hint. It's something you probably want to do during this game. It's like an emotional thing, his his voice. I feel like I should have changed my answer now, but... Oh, it is what it is. It's just gone, like, is. really dark. Like, what oh. I was thinking has just gone, like, quite dark. I'm like... Should I really put that? I mean, go for it. it. It might not get you points. It'll get me to laugh. Okay, so we'll start with Laura's then. Oh, I was like, it makes you want to like kill him. Like, <laughs> it's quite dark. Like, really. Okay. But yeah. So his I voice would... as a filmmaker is, you want to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't. That's okay. It's all right. It's all right. Uh, Rob. Um. So you're. I. I. I think you said a word beginning with A. But this is correct. I did. <laughs> okay. But I, but I wrote batshit crazy. Uh, I said his voice was if he's screaming into the abyss. Uh, there you go. Yep. So you are right there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This next one is a nice, simple true or false. Oh God, here we go. Really? I promise you. It's, I promise you. I promise oh, you. Okay. True or false? David remembered all of the facts that I talked about in VHS Corner. Boom. <laughs> you don't even have to like have heard the podcast before you know that no answer. discussion you just know yeah, our no relationship <laughs> okay uh rob uh I, I was gonna say should we do this on three but okay um, do it do it in three so three two one false <laughs> which is correct he did indeed forget <laughs> one of the facts so that's a point to both of you and to end uh we'll just go with a very easy question um so question number 12 what year was this film released? Can I get an extra point if I can give you the exact date and month? Oh, come on. <laughs> no. I'll have to look it. I'll have to look it up. But um, OK, yeah, submit it. We'll look it up and then we'll, we'll make a judgment. Oh, my God. <laughs> I literally just submitted mine. <laughs> Sorry, Rob. I, oh I think I was God. a point ahead anyway, wasn't I, with the whole mug thing? OK, All well, right. first things first, David, what are the scores before we go into this? Uh, so it's Laura on five and Rob on three and a half. Oh. So yeah, this um, 
okay, we probably will consider it then. Although if you want to quickly submit a date um, to go along with your year, then we will consider it. So I, I said 2009 and I'll go with, God, when would this film been released? Probably around, uh, I don't know, October 14th. So we're going October 14th, 2009. Laura? Yeah. 26th of, the, yeah, 26th of December, 2009, Boxender. And David? It was the 26th of December, 2009. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason I remember that is because I saw it New Year's Day, 2010. And proof Left that play. you've got long-term memory as opposed to the short-term memory. <laughs> I'm good with dates and years of films. <laughs> well, I, apolo- I apologise this particular game was not those things. <laughs> Okay, so that is a point to both of you. And uh, yeah, I think we will give the, the bonus point for the exact date. Unbelievable. Um, that means I can't win. <laughs> I mean, you weren't... This was the last question. You already couldn't win, even if you both Oh, yeah, true. Me. That is true. Yes, that is a true point, yeah. Essentially, Laura had to, like, get that wrong and you had to get yeah. the bonus. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the score so is... Just, oh, well, yeah, yeah, nail on the coffin, basically. <laughs> Uh, so Laura ended that with uh, seven and Rob on four and a half. So the winner of this game is Laura. So that means you are the one who gets the deciding vote. Yeah, so uh, Laura, uh, you get the opportunity now to choose what we talk about in our next episode. You can either go with mine or Craig's, one of our choices, which we saw teased too, uh, which have some connectivity to Sherlock Holmes, or if you have one that you have thought of, then you can also choose that. It is up to you. Whatever we choose, we'll talk about next time. So what do you think we should talk about? I'm going to go with what I've chosen. Yeah. Okay. Right. So do you want to tease us as to what it's about, or are you going to go straight in and, and reveal reveal the film? Can I reveal it? Like, Because I think Rob will like this. So it okay. Might make him... Go straight ahead. I'm then. hoping you haven't covered this. So I chose Snatch. With oh. a big Guy Ritchie film, yeah. and also because of the fact, you know, Brad Pitt's Irish accent is mm. top notch. In my, I think it is. Had to pick it. It's a classic. It is probably the one Guy Ritchie film that everybody's probably seen. Yeah, it's a great choice, and yeah, some great connectivity, isn't it? Like it's the fact of like Craig has chosen Sherlock Holmes for the kind of like Robert Downey Jr. and the source material, but here then we're going like down the filmmaker aspect. And funny then, yeah, we did mention it so many times about like how. How he is as a as a director. So yeah, great choice there. Well done, guys. Thank you for joining us today, talking about Sherlock Holmes. It's been an absolute blast. Uh, we hope to have you on again in the future. So uh, we now say our goodbyes. So uh, Laura, where can uh, the folks at home find you? What are you up to at the moment? You can find me on Twitter um, at the Filmer Review. Uh, at the moment, I am literally just watching films, reading books most of the days. I've set up a thread of what I've been watching in twenty twenty two. So. Just keep an eye on that. And I think uh, you're on Letterboxd as well, isn't it? So maybe people... Oh, I am under the same name, The Film and Review. Yeah. So you can find me there as well. So you can uh, follow that uh, 2022 watch list. So keep an eye on that. And uh, Rob, where can uh, the folks find yourself? Uh, first of all, let me just say it's been an absolute blast being on this. It's been so enjoyable. And Laura, you are a worthy opponent. And also excellent choice. Uh, I'll be listening to that one um, for sure. Do you like dogs? Um... <laughs> You can find me at, at Rob Ailing Film on Twitter or at Rob Ailing on Instagram. You can find my work on at robailing.com. My latest work is a documentary called Hands, which I made in the first national lockdown. But you can also check out my Batman fan film Living in Crime Alley on YouTube as well. Awesome. Yes, much recommended, guys. Go check it out. 
support short films and uh, obviously you'll have to build up to see Rob's feature film which will be coming out in the future as well which we can't wait to see and talk about uh, so yeah everyone at home like I said thank you for joining us uh, we hope you can join in all of the fun next time if you want to check out where to catch snatch then uh, you can find it on Netflix at the moment or on Stars if you subscribe to that via Amazon or as a separate app. So if you do want to play along and find out our thoughts um, or if you are like Rob and you've watched it plenty of times and you can quote it numerous times, then I'm sure you'll get excited for us to discuss it. Uh, anything lastly from yourself, Craig? Well, I can say that this episode has simply been elementary <laughs> yeah i kind of was disappointed somebody didn't go with that as the theme of the newspaper like the elementary <laughs> that would have been a clever way around sort of uh richie's i've got to address this now considering that years ago one of the co-hosts of this podcast was a guy called richie so whenever we talk about you know richie's decisions i'm just like what did he have to do with this film <laughs> But um, yeah, go check out Sherlock Holmes, which we've put into the movie vault as well. Uh, it was a great addition in there, convinced by uh, Craig and uh, Rob's uh, cases on that film. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you next time for Snatch. Thank you for joining us once again, Rob and Laura, and we'll catch you again on the next one. Bye-bye. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. To keep up with the latest episodes of Well Good Movies, you can listen to us on all your usual podcast outlets, including Apple, Google, Spotify, YouTube, and more. Don't forget to follow us, subscribe, and rate us where you can to keep our podcast growing. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Well Good Movies to keep up with the latest news and highlights from all our episodes, as well as tell us what movies you want to be discussed in the future. And if all of that isn't enough, you can also find us at our website, freshtakehub.com slash wellgoodmovies, where you can catch all our episodes along with videos and articles deep diving into the worlds of film and television. So what are you waiting for? Go check out the film we'll be discussing in next time's episode.